0: Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Hectic. Uh, I used to be a youth pastor for a long time. So... If random stories come out, I apologise. It's just kind of part of the, um, part of the deal. I think I've s- said it before, uh, but when I first became a youth pastor, Benj was also a youth pastor, but towards the back end of that stint. Um, he was, el- yeah, I am. Um, and Benj was the first other youth pastor to take me out for coffee. Um, and to invest into me and to love me. And so I have a very special place in my heart for Benj, um, just because he's so amazing. Uh, But we're currently in a a series called What Sort of um, Kingdom? It's talking about Jesus' kingdom, God's kingdom. We're looking through Luke 13. uh, And it's one of the things I think, I I work with a bunch of teenagers in a high school, in a Christian school, and the question often comes up, not all these kids are Christian, but the question quite, quite often comes up, what is this whole Jesus thing about? And so they're wrestling with this. And so often you keep talking about the, the sin issue, the brokenness issue. You are know, like, well, Jesus came so we can restore relationships, so that we can be in relationship with God, so we can go to heaven. And we forget that the other part of why Jesus came was actually to establish his kingdom here on earth, that there's so much more to what Jesus did than just deal with sin. But he actually invites us into this process of bringing his kingdom here to earth. Uh, and so, Benj has given me four verses to look at, and so we will the four verses assigned to me, kind of like homework, um, <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll have a look at what these, these verses look like. Uh, and so, Luke 13, verse 18 to 21, we're talking about Jesus's kingdom, God's kingdom, it says this, uh, then Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It is like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden. It grows and becomes a tree. The birds become, and the birds make nests in its branches. He also asked, What else is the kingdom of God like? It is like the yeast a woman used to make bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, about 60 pounds or 27 kilos, so a lot of dough, she likes carbs. it, permeate, it permeated every part of the dough and essentially rises and becomes food to eat. Um, so two very interesting images about an expansive kingdom, starting small and growing big. I remember this one time, I was about 13, 14, I had a couple of chores as a child and one of those was to take my lunchbox out of my bag and put it on the kitchen counter. It's a lot of effort for me to, uh, to do that. So at the end of each school day, I would take my lunchbox out, put it on the counter. Mum would then refill the lunchbox, put it in the fridge, and I would grab it for the next day. However, there are certain times where I would not take it out of my lunchbox, lunch ba- my bag, uh, because school wasn't the next day. So Fridays, you know, normally it wouldn't come out. So then 48 hours later, mum would be like, where? where's the lunchbox? But nothing too bad can happen in the lunchbox over 48 hours. But there are longer periods of time mainly Christmas breaks, where if you leave things for a significant amount of time, things begin to grow. So I remember this one time I had, it was like, you know, last day of school, you don't eat your own food. It's all like junk food and candy canes and class parties and whatnot. So I didn't eat anything. Nothing in my lunchbox I ate. It just stayed there. And what followed was a summer filled with lots and lots of flies. So many flies, in fact, I distinctly remember my parents' closing the house at like 4 or 5 p.m., trying to get rid of all these flies, them going to sleep, and then everyone waking up, and there were more flies in the house than there were the night before, and them being like, how is this possible? Is there a hole somewhere? What's going on? And I just thought, oh, it's mum and dad's issue. It's not mine. Until after this summer, it's the day before school, and mum's like, hey, Joseph, where's where's your lunchbox? I'm like, oh, it's probably in my school bag. And as I open up my school bag, about a dozen flies fly out. It's like, that's not, that's not good. And as I open the lunch box, there were flies of every generation. There was old flies, there was middle-aged flies, there were young flies, and there were baby flies, a.k.a. maggots, throughout this whole thing in a chicken sandwich in, a, in an orange that no longer resembled a chicken sandwich in an orange. It was atrocious. But what had clearly happened was that there was one little, a couple little fly eggs that had marinated in my lovely lunchbox over the course of summer, and it grew to become a tribe of flies. And it's, this is kind of the image that Jesus is trying to paint, that from, not that not, not, not they were liking Jesus' kingdom to a fly kingdom, but something small and potent something perhaps even unnoticed, grows to become something substantial and something impactful. And this is the image that Jesus is trying to paint. And historically, as we read these two verses, or these two stories, I think we'd probably all agree we've seen this historically, that from a small group of Jewish followers, the, the kingdom of God Belief in Jesus has spread throughout the entire world. Here we are, 2,000 years later, speaking a language that didn't exist at the time, talking about Jesus, singing about Jesus, wearing clothes in, you know, that never existed at the time. Like Historically, it's happened, it's spread. But the reality is, is that history has not culminated to this point. And I think sometimes we forget that. It's like almost every generation, we think that we are the generation, when the reality is that we're in the midst of history. And so this passage is not just talking about what has happened in the past to lead up to this moment, we actually find ourselves in the midst of these two stories, or these two pictures, where we're supposed to be a part of this expansive kingdom of God. And that's what I'm keen to look at, these two, two images, how they might apply to our lives and how we can then continue to outwork God's kingdom in our own lives. And if it happens within us, then it probably happens naturally within our world. So that's what we're going to look at. So the first first image, Jesus asks, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took, planted in his garden, it grew, became a tree, and the birds birds perched in its branches. So there's in and, and maybe maybe I'll speculate a little bit, but just trying to apply this to our lives. So I have found that in scripture describes the process of believing in Jesus that we go from dead in our sins to alive in Christ. It's like a seed is all of a sudden planted in our lives and it gives way to life. And if you were a, if you have a very clear before Jesus experience, you can remember what it was like before Jesus and you can remember what it's like after Jesus, you would know, hey look, there, there was a way in which I saw the world and now there's a way in which I see the world differently. And you're still in the same life, you still have the same problems, you still have the same family members, still have the same work, but still something has shifted and there's part of you that's gone from death to life. But even as believers, as followers of Christ, we actually have these same moments, whether it's a promise fulfilled or there's a, a prayer that we've been praying for a long time or someone spoke something over us years ago and all of a sudden an area of our life is dead and then it comes alive Again, And these are beautiful moments. They're amazing moments. We celebrate these moments and we we cherish them. They're like, hey, look, God did this amazing thing in my life. And it's like there's this death to life. There's like this new shoot giving way in our world. But the reality is that's not the everyday Christian experience. At least I have found that. Your life might be filled with every day. Some error in your life is terrible and all of a sudden it's wonderful. And if that's you, we need to hang out more because I would like that in my life. But I have not found that to be true and so I think there's, there's something to being like, okay, the image that Jesus lays before us is that there's this seed that is planted, life comes, but there's this maturing, and that all of a sudden, out of this maturing, is this life that is suitable to feed and house others. So how is it that you go from, okay, this new life, this exciting moment, to maturing into something that is safe for others? Hebrews 12 verse 2 says um, something important, uh, there it is. It says this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12 is a fascinating chapter. The, the author is trying to paint what it looks like, what the life of a Christian should look like. But everything hangs on that verse too, where it says, hey, look, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And so it's really important that as we grow in, our, grow in our relationship with God, it is not a chase of perfection or behaviour modification. It's not that we become better Christians. I think it is that we better see Jesus in our world. And we better have him in focus. So I was trying to think what is a really practical way that you can... Because, you know, you still have to live life. You still have to, like, have family and relationships and work. And so you can't just be like, oh, I can't deal with you. I have to think about Jesus. Because that's what a good Christian does. I think... Uh, the best way I can describe it is this. I, I have slightly foggy eyes. Not horrifically foggy, but slightly foggy. I can't see number plates. That's about how foggy it is, right? Now, it means I can't see the world really how it is, how I see it. And then if I put on my glasses, you're all a little bit clearer, right? But I am actually, actually seeing the world more as it is because of what I'm looking through. And I actually spend all day looking at my glasses without perhaps looking at my glasses and when we fix our eyes on Jesus the idea is not that we have our attention 100% of the time I have to think about Jesus not think about my problems or I have to think about Jesus not think about work or I have to think about Jesus and not think about how that person cut me off it's about okay it's the lens through which I see my life it is the lens through which I see every situation. It's the lens through which I see the people in my world. It's the lens through which I focus on my problems, on, the, on, on all the different things that happen in my world. And as I'm doing that, I'm actually keeping my eyes on Jesus. I'm seeing it how it really is because I'm seeing it through him. I remember this one time. I was about 15, and I had a seventh life crisis. <laughs> Everyone just did some math for a second. Um, It was about 15, and I just became really acutely aware of how broken I was. I was a pastor's kid, so raised in faith very aware of what made a good person and a bad person, um, and even hearing about the journeys, the journeys that people would go on. And I just reckon, I'm like, man, I am just as broken as everyone else. And people would always be like, oh, you're the this kid, you're amazing. And I'm a bit of a people pleaser, so like very good at putting up a front about like, yeah, everything's going great, but inside like dying. And so there was this very much sense of people thought I was... Doing really good. Thought they were what a great pastor's kid. Like what a great. But really, on the inside, I was so aware of how broken I was, so aware of my motives behind things, so aware of just how, just how broken I was. And I became so focused on my behavior, so focused on my 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 heart and how damaged I was, to such a degree. I remember growing up in a more charismatic. Environment where they'd be like, "Hey, look, if you want to, you know, surrender your life to Jesus, chuck your hand there." And I remember for probably like six months, it was like every opportunity I had to do that, I would, yeah, I need Jesus again. Because why would Jesus love me because of X, Y, and Z? Why would Jesus want me because of the contents of my heart and my behaviour and and everything else? And so this persisted. I remember going to the snow after about six months with my mum and dad. I'm an only child, so that was the funnest thing in the world, being there with your two best friends, mother. (laughs) mama and papa (laughs) it was pretty good but being at the snow and I remember being like I should be having so much fun should be having so much fun with my besties um was fun. but being like I I just feel a vast emptiness and brokenness and six months later being at uh Byron Bay again with my besties feeling that same vast emptiness and brokenness and just feeling like I don't think I'm saved I don't think I'm really loved by Jesus because why would he actually want me? And then I remember being in front of Coles, another profound place to be, <laughs> standing in front of Coles at Erin Fre- and I still remember where I was standing and then it was like, I was standing there, I don't know what I was doing beforehand, I don't know what I did afterwards but I remember standing there and it was all of a sudden I could see, I was thinking about how messed up I was and it was like all of a sudden Jesus kind of came into focus and I could actually see me through him and I was like, I And it didn't change how broken I was, but it changed how I saw my brokenness. And it meant I was like, holy smokes, Jesus actually loves me in spite of this. He actually loves me in the midst of this. And in fact, that's the thing. That's why he died, because he loved me so much. And it it just helped me to orientate things and be like, oh, it's actually not about the behavior. It's about the person through which I'm seeing life through so this call to maturity this call to be part of God's greater kingdom is not just moments of new life and wonderful things it actually is about allowing ourselves to see ourselves in others through Jesus and that takes the pressure of us trying to be like oh I have to like everyone or everyone everyone's humanity has to be able to get on with my humanity which is just not the case it's like I'm annoying and you're annoying and that's okay Right? But it's it's allowing being like, hey long, hang on, like as long as I see that person and I can see their behavior and I can see me and I can see my behavior and I can see life and I can see their life through the lens of Jesus, that gives me the grace and the capacity and the love to really love them where they're at. And I don't have to be anything I'm not and they don't have to be anything that they're not, but it enables me to actually love them where they're at and allow me to actually focus on Jesus. And then the second image. The second image is about a lady making a lot of carbs, which is a great story. And so this lady is making, putting a little bit of yeast in a whole heap of dough. She kneads all this yeast all the way through and then it's left there to prove and rise and grow and then it's suitable for baking. And it's like we have this yeast. This is the only time I'll ever say this, is in this message. It's like Jesus is the yeast, yeasty Jesus, and we put in the thing and we need it, and he's needed all the way through. And he has to make, yeast has to make its way all the way through the dough in order for it to properly rise. Jesus calls us to a life of perpetual surrender. In Luke 19, Jesus says, Take up your cross daily and follow me. The life that God calls us to is not one of, I surrender at one moment or on one time when the goosebumps in the worship songs feel great or when I'm feeling particularly aware of God's presence and God's goodness. No, I'm actually called to surrender on a daily basis. And that's encouraging and challenging. It's encouraging because it's like Jesus recognises, hey, look, every day we're going to need to surrender again. Every day there's a challenge to lay your life down again. But there's a challenge to do it. And I think as we do this, as we go on this humble experience of allowing God into every part of our lives, it enables us to actually love each other better. Because it means that I can come to you with my brokenness. So I'm like, I'm still struggling with my humanity. You're still struggling with your humanity. Because I think we can fall into this trap of, I've been a Christian for like five, five years, ten years, fifteen years. Why is it that, I, why is it that my behaviour is still like this? I've been a Christian for so long, I shouldn't have to deal with this. When the reality is behind that, we're saying, why aren't I perfect already? And the truth is, that's not our call. That's not what our focus is supposed to be as believers. We're called to this life of perpetual surrender, daily surrender. And that means that you and I can come to community as broken as we are and as damaged as we are. as However long we've been a Christian, we're still able to come with all our humanity and all our brokenness and do life together. You can tell me your brokenness, I can tell you my brokenness, and we can love each other. And what that means when it comes to discipleship is that I'm not trying to disciple you to be like me. I'm trying to be like, hey, look, why don't we pursue Jesus together? And that means that discipleship is safe. It means that community is safe. It means that we can actually come as we are. It means that we are loved as we are. It means that we don't have to put up a face or put up a a version of ourselves that's just not real and if we're a community like that that means that we actually play a role we're actually safe for others because that's how these two these two images finish they start with life being given to this thing it growing and expanding but it doesn't finish with this thing in all its glory being, oh, it's the expanded version of that thing. That's the highlight of it. No, they both become something that's of use for others. They become something that is of use for community. And that's the call that God has us, um, that's the call that he has for us to be part of this wider community is not to be better versions of ourselves, but it's to be versions of ourselves that are safe for others. And that means that we just get to come as we are and love each other and love him. So if the team wants to come up, that would be amazing. Uh, and, and I think that's such a challenge, to be like, okay, through the process of just being, n- n- not trying to hold myself to perfection, but allowing myself to surrender to God on a daily basis, and the humility of being like, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to try and fix my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to try and see the people in my world, see my behavior, see other people's behavior through the lens of Jesus. I think as we do those two things, that really helps us to be able to live an authentic faith, a real faith. And if that happens inside of us, I am convinced that as we just do life, that exudes from us. We're not chasing behavior. We're just sheerly chasing after a person. And we find ourselves historically in the midst of an expanding kingdom. Let me pray for us. And then the team's going to sing. Father, I thank you for all that you've done for us. Father, I thank you for the price that you paid on the cross, not just to deal with our humanity, but, Father, to usher in a new way of doing life, a new kingdom. Father, I thank you that we find ourselves in the midst of your story, a greater story. And so, Father, I pray that if, if we're fallen into the trap of being like, hey, look, I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be struggling with this by now, and we're caught up in the, the challenges of our own behaviour... Father, I pray that you would help us better see ourselves, better see others. You would help us view our lives how you see them through the lens of your love and your grace towards us.